I want to say welcome to those who will be viewing by way of Facebook and uh, or and or YouTube. We're glad to have you. Hope that you'll come visit someday and be with us. We would enjoy meeting you very much. Um, the book of Philippians. I want to read just one verse of scripture and then I'll have some things to say as uh, lay the foundation for the message today. But what I want to do is I want to start on the prison pages of Paul. The prison pages of Paul. Notice what it says, Philippians chapter 1, and look with me please in verse 21. The Bible says, Paul writing here under inspiration, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's, uh, let's pray one more time. Father, what a joy it is to be in your house. Thank you for these dear saints, for our visitors today. Lord, especially we thank you that Sister Zan's able to attend, feeling well enough to be here. Thank you, Lord, again for the progress she has made. We just give you the glory and the honor for it. Thank you for those, Lord, that have looked after her, surgeons as well as nursing assistants and family. Lord, uh, we just appreciate your good hand. Now, Lord, it's preaching time, and I, Lord, I, I need you this morning, Heavenly Father. I can't do this. I, I, Lord, you said you remember that our frame, it is but dust, and that's all I am, and I need your help. I pray for your empowerment this morning, Lord, not to use your power, but to be rather used of it. I love you, and I need you, Father. Help me, Lord. Help them, I pray, Lord, to deceive with meekness and May the Holy Spirit illuminate their hearts today. May the Lord Jesus be magnified. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Now, this book is, a, is a, I think it's a special book. It has some unique things about it. One of the things unique about it is that the word sin is never mentioned, not one time, in the book of Philippians. And uh, Paul has a unique relationship with them. He loved them. And that's expressed... Notice what he said, look in verse 2. Grace be unto you and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. I mean, he was, he was on his, they were on his mind and they were in his prayers. And, uh, and he's writing to all of them. Look in verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Now, uh, Philippi is was a not a Jewish town. There was no synagogue in Philippi, but it was rather a place. It was kind of like a, a veterans retirement center. It's where a lot of the Roman soldiers would go if they had survived all the wars and uh, all the fighting. Many of them would move and then retire to the town of Philippi. And uh, and so uh, again, it was not it was not a town that was noted for necessarily trade or industry. There were a lot of retirees that were there, and that's the reason why when Paul found Lydia, he went down to a prayer meeting. Where were they doing that? They were doing that by a riverside. They weren't meeting in a synagogue, and that's where he found Lydia, whose heart the Lord had opened, and she gets saved. And so so this letter that Paul writes. Uh, here to the church at Philippi, he has communicated with them more than once, and we'll find that when we get over to chapter 4, which we're not going to do today. But I, what I want you to notice about this book is uh, that every chapter in this book, and sometimes in many of the books of the Bible, there are key verses that tells us something about 
something about the content and character of what, of what God was trying to get across to the readers. Now, in chapter 1, it is this verse. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die in gain. In chapter 2, uh, it, says, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right? Notice what it says. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you. I'm in chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on with the rest of the sentence. In chapter 3, the key verse there is verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14 says, I press toward the mark of, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 4... The verse is Philippians 4.13, and many times we quote that verse. Some of you probably could. I can do all things through Christ, which what? Which strengtheneth me. And in each of these chapters, there is a different aspect about the Lord Jesus. In chapter 1, what we want to look at today, it is Jesus, the purpose of life. Jesus, the purpose of life, the purpose of our living. Why we are here, why we exist. Now, at the time of this writing, according to Acts 28, the Bible tells us this. He said, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Thank God he wasn't in a prison cell like we'll find later, I believe, when he is in when First and Second Timothy, or Second Timothy in particular, is written. Paul has two different imprisonments. And this one here, he has afforded some grace. He's not confined to a Roman cell, but he was able to rent, if you will, a hired house. He was able to be in there. But guess what? You know. Uh, today, what do they do? They put an ankle bracelet on somebody to keep tabs on them. But what did Paul have? Paul was chained literally by arm day and night to one of the imperial soldiers who was sent to that house to keep tabs on Paul. So he just couldn't escape. He couldn't flee. It was one of the, it was one of the demands, if you will, one of the trade-offs. Yes, you can be in this house, but you're going to have to be chained to a soldier around the clock. And so what did that mean? That meant that Paul was subject to every, or subjected to every rudeness, every whim of his jailers. Whatever they wanted, whatever, however they wanted to do it, he was subject to those things. Why? Because he was chained to them and they were those imperial soldiers and they were used as bodyguards. Not necessarily to protect him, but to guard him from getting away. And yet, with all that, can you imagine what it is? I mean, there's no, certainly no privacy. Certainly no dignity. And uh, everything that guy did, you had to do. Or at least you had to be there. And in spite of that, not one time in this book do we ever find that Paul whined about his life. And I, I could I just say Paul wasn't a victim. He was a victor. Because he understands something about the purpose of his life. And, uh, and so, unlike so many around us today, man, when you hear the news or you hear somebody, it's all about feelings and it's all about how I've been mistreated. I mean, you know, I've heard about this stuff in California. And, uh, anyway, I, 
you know, people wanting money for this and that, and I think they were going to get like five million a person, and then somebody came along and said that's not enough now to want two hundred million a person, and you know, it's just extortion. And uh, anyway, but uh, but I, could I just say to you, you know, that the world doesn't owe us anything. Amen. 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 No one owes us anything. Amen. And uh, and so, what is it that Paul knew? That we ought to know. Amen. I, I, look with me in verse 21. We've already read it and, and we'll begin this morning. Notice what it says. <clears throat> but he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what Paul knew? Paul knew his purpose. Now, we got to go back and I know some of you are younger than this, but, but you remember, some of y'all go with me now. Do you remember the 60s? <laughs> Do you remember where you were in the 60s? And I was thinking about some of y'all's ages last night as I was, I was in bed and I was thinking about the message. You know, you preach this thing several times before you actually get here. And uh, I do anyway. And I was going over some of those things. I was trying to figure it out based upon age and so forth. Like you might have been born in 38. Maybe some of y'all were born in 37 or whatever. And that meant, man, you was like 10 years old. You know, during the times of the uh, uh, World War II, by the time the 50s came along, man, you were of draft age and so forth. And so I know you remember what it was like in the 60s. I know that you do. I was just a young man. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember this. Do you, do you remember, do you remember when, uh, what, do you remember when young people were moving out from their parents' homes? And uh, they put their they put their bell bottom jeans on, and they had their sandals and maybe a bag or something. They put their thumb out there. Now maybe that didn't happen in Texas, but it happened in Florida where I was growing up, didn't it? It happened that way. Happened that way in a lot of other places too, particularly up north. But they put their thumb out there. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't care where they were going. They just wanted to leave out from home, all in an effort so I could find myself. You remember that? Finding ourselves. Well, they just need to find themselves. What are they doing? Well, uh, you know, they're backpacking through Europe. Why? They're just trying to find themselves. Do you also remember a man named Timothy Leary? How do you remember him? Do you know that he was 18 years as a Catholic priest? And he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. Must have been pretty bad for them to get rid of you. And, uh, and they did that. And he said this, whenever in doubt... Turn off your mind. Relax. Float downstream. Just wherever the tides and currents carry you. Just be set adrift. He also said this. Turn on. Tune in. Drop out. In other words, he said... The only people that have psychotic experiences from taking drugs are those who never take them. Now, beloved, things haven't changed much in 50 years, 60 years since then. They really haven't changed much. And I submit to you, they probably have gotten worse. What was all that about? It was all about discovering myself. It was all about doing what pleased me, doing, doing what they thought was pleasurable, what would satisfy them. And so they were guided by those things. And so life was all about them. It was all about their own pleasures, their own happiness, if you will. And I know it's in the Constitution or the preamble, the, you know, that we have the, you know, the pursuit of happiness and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I know that. 
But, you know, sometimes there are just some things out there that don't always agree with the Word of God. God doesn't want us to be adrift. God wants us to be anchored in something. They didn't have an anchor. They didn't have a purpose. Why? They were just going with the wind, going with the trends of that day, wherever it may have took them. And so, uh, and so in some of those things, they, they got fouled up, and they were messed up, and they were changed. Some of those people, you know, on the drugs, it has fried their brain, and some of them never recovered from those things. And nothing is, really has changed today. There are just more of those mind-altering things that are out there. And yet all of that is an escapism, and Paul wasn't looking for an escape. Do you remember when he was in the Philippian jail? Do you remember that? When he wrote this letter, he was in Rome, to the Philippians, also the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, that was also written from uh, from the uh, a Roman imprisonment. But do you remember when when they had that earthquake in the Philippian jail? The jailer comes in and he's about to take his own life. And what did Paul say? Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. If Paul wanted to get away from the Philippian jail and the jailer, he could have done so, but he didn't do that because that he knew that wasn't the purpose that God had for him. Something that Paul knew about his life that we should know is that he knew his purpose. Why he was here, why he, why he had been saved, why he was doing what he was doing. You know, his, his, and because of that, his pursuits were guided by his understanding of his purpose. Now notice with me here, notice what he said to them. Look there with me in verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy. Now watch, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What is he doing? I mean, he is commending them for the fellowship that they have in the gospel. Their fellowship in the gospel. In other words, Paul said that he had become all things to all men that he might gain some. And why did he do that? You know, do you know what the word fellowship means? It means something that we have in common. Something that we have in communion with each other. And what we hold in common here as a church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul knew that in his life he had a purpose. What was, it, what was that purpose to be? God showed it to him there. He records that in the book of Ephesians that he was going to be a part. He had been made a part of the mysteries of the church where both Jew and Gentile were now going to be in the same body. They were going to be one. That middle wall of partition had been torn down, taken down, and there was no barrier now that they could be in the same body together, which was something that was brand new, something that was hidden in the mind of God and never revealed to the Old Testament prophets and, and to like to David and to others, kings and so forth in the Old Testament. And Paul knew that he had a message to bear that he was going to use the Lord Jesus as that chief cornerstone. What does a cornerstone do? It brings things together. A cornerstone joins walls here together. That's what that's what a corner does. It was joining some things together. And so he was going to do that bond or free, male or female. It didn't matter their geography. It didn't matter their race. It didn't matter their background. All that was lost in their union with him. That was the supreme thing in Paul's life. It's what he lived for. He said, for me to live is Christ. 
He, he knew about himself. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Paul understood that the purpose of his life was to exalt the Lord Jesus in everything that he said, in every place that he went, with every endeavor. Whether he was making tents, what was his purpose? It was to earn a little money, to make a little money so he could go on another journey, so he could present the gospel and preach the gospel to in the regions beyond to people who had never heard before. He knew what his purpose was. But today, you know, the purposes of people are sometimes are sometimes confused with this higher mandate that we have. You know, one of the things that we ought to do is to know him and then to make him known. Part of what we're doing here, part of why we support missions, part of why, you know, Lord willing, we're going to have one this month. And I think there's one coming in June. Have a missionary to come in, tell us about their field and so forth. Why are we doing that? Why? Because we want to see that message spread. We want to see that fellowship of the gospel. You know, the church, when you think about where we are in our backgrounds, where we have come from. Some of y'all are from here. Some of you have a, have a stronger European background. Some, but you know what? We're just like a little microcosm of what heaven is going to be like when we all get there. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, it said there was going to be a number so many that no man could number. What, of every tongue and tribe and race? I mean, all that, all of that is going to be swallowed up in one thing, that our eyes are going to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has made all those differences and going to make them one as a part of the same body. And what a blessing that is. And so he knew that part of his purpose was to see that fellowship of the gospel. That there would be something in common. That's why when he traveled around and saw all those places and saw those different kinds of people, he knew that Christ was the answer. Whether you were a free man or you were a slave or are you, regardless of those things, he knew that Christ was the answer. Do you know that Jesus Christ is still the answer to all the social ills of society today? Man, we got somebody worried about, well, man, they don't think enough about me or they've excluded me or they're not talking about me. They hadn't done this for me and it's all me, me, I, I, my, what are you? All that ends in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes all those things, you know, because it doesn't matter. As I have said before, in this place, it doesn't matter where you're from. It matters where you're going. And that's what Paul was interested in. He wanted to see that fellowship of the gospel. You think about it. You know, if, if, think about it. Man, if we hadn't got saved, if I hadn't got saved, I'd have never seen any of you. If you hadn't got saved, you wouldn't be here today. If you weren't made a part of the body of Christ. We'd have never met on this side of heaven, Brother Julio. We'd have never met. That didn't happen. You know, we had to get 5,000 miles away from everybody for God to hem us up and show us our need so that we could come back and enjoy some things like this. Man, I mean, I love the church, and that's what he loved about them. He loved about their fellowship in the gospel, what they, what they were enjoying, what they were, what they were to each other. He understood that. He rejoiced in that. That's why he prayed for them. And notice how he put that. He said, from the first day until now, they were continuing on in that fellowship. 
Our fellowship is so important here. It was a part he understood the purpose of his life, that he was to be the catalyst. He was to be the one that brought that message, that foundation to the lives of those people who were otherwise messed up. I don't know about you, but you know, heaven, you know, a church is not a, you know the old saying, now you've probably heard it many times, you know, a church is really a hospital for sick people. Amen. I mean, I, I, I needed the Lord. I don't know about you, but I needed to be saved. I don't know about y'all, but I really needed it bad. And uh, and so because of where we were headed, we were headed apart. Our lives were headed apart. She was saving just enough money so she could leave. You know, you just don't, at the time, you just didn't drive out of Alaska, you know. And, uh, and, and, and so all that was, that, that's where we were headed. But the Lord is an expert at broken things of how to fix them. He is. And Paul saw that in their condition and where they were in, in that Roman city of Philippi, he knew that Christ was the answer. And I submit to you, you know, that's the answer for America. It's the answer right here in Kerrville. It's the answer right here in this assembly. It's who we need to be the chief cornerstone of our lives. And Paul loved that fellowship that they had together. I, you know, I, I don't know... I don't know if the church means that to you or not. I'm not saying that it doesn't. I'm just saying that, man, you know, when you're here and we sing together and we fellowship together, what a blessing that is. We are strengthened by that. You know, in, in, uh, in Northern California, I had an opportunity to go out there. We, Debbie and I visited the Redwoods, and I was out there, you know, the kind that you can drive through and all that stuff. I mean, those huge trees and uh, um, monstrous. I mean, I don't know how many feet they are around. I didn't bring a tape measure out there with me. I just know they were huge, wider than my wider than my vehicle at the time. And, and uh, we're out there and I'm looking and I say, man, how in the world are all these things standing up? Well, they had some, they had some information there. One of the things that they did, that how those trees are able to stand for all these centuries, if you will, was when they lay down roots. They don't have a long tap root, but they put their roots out like this and they join their roots to this other tree over here, to that tree there and that tree there. And he joins to the next one to him, next one to him. And they're all interconnected. And how they stand up in that Northern California weather is they're helping to hold each other in place. Now, beloved, that's what your church family ought to mean to you. And that's what it meant to Paul. And he said, from that day, and from that day when they got in to where you are right now, man, he was rejoicing that they were held together. They were held together. I've heard you talk about the faithful eight. Amen? Made a difference, didn't it? Well, I, I'm, I'm hoping for the faithful 18. Amen? I thank God for the increase. But notice what he said, look at verse 6. And what did he know about them? He was trying to help them here. Being he was being confident of this very thing. Chapter 1, verse 6. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That what God starts, he always finishes. He doesn't quit halfway with something. He finishes it. He finishes it. He wanted them to know, man, I'm glad that you're still in the, I'm glad that you're still in the race. I'm glad that you're still in the body. You're doing these things and that God is perfecting you in that fellowship. He understood that and he saw that as being a part of his purpose was the fellowship of the gospel. But I want you to see something else that he also understood and knew. He also knew, look in verse 12 with me. 
Now remember, what's his situation? He's in dire straits here. Yes, he's in a hired house. Yes, he seems to be free, but really he's not. He's got somebody chained to him around the clock, day and night. I mean, it's just hard for us to envision. He even talks about, in the book of Acts, he talks about how there were four quaternions of soldiers. Four of them at one time. Notice what he said. Look in verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Paul understood because he knew his purpose. He never felt sorry for himself. You know, when I, when I hear sometimes... And it's a shame. I, I, I forget how many veterans die every day. I think it's 22 a day out of suicide. And how many law enforcement suicide? And how many other first responders suicide? D depression It must be a real thing. You know, somebody said, well, just build a bridge and get over it. Well, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. I'm, I'm not so callous to think like that. But Paul, he understood that what was happening to him wasn't just because of the fellowship of the gospel. It brought that about, but also it was a part of the furtherance of the gospel, to move the gospel forward. You know, Paul never had a midlife crisis. He didn't go out and buy a faster moving chariot. You know what do men do now? They go out and buy a sports car again, right? You've got to have it. Midlife crisis. But men, men look back over their lives and they say, man, surely there's something else for me to conquer. Surely there is. This is not all there is. Women go through sometimes the empty nest, right? They look, what, what do they give a chicken sometimes? What do they give her? Put it in the nest. A who? A fake, a fake egg. Yeah, it's called a nesting egg. Why? Because she just feels like she's got to have... That's why a lot of women, when they get older, they want a little dog. I don't think it's wrong. Some women. Not all. Some women. You have your ducks out there on the water, right? Yeah, I, I know you do. And uh, But my point is that... But, but uh, And there's nothing wrong with having a dog or ducks, okay? Or even a nesting egg for your chicken, all right? Don't go away from there and say, man, brother, it doesn't like anything. That's not so. I'm just saying that Paul never looked back on his life with regret or despair. Why? He was in the will of God. He knew what his purpose was. I've had a part in their fellowship, seeing them come together, seeing them come to know Christ and what a blessing that is. And I also know that what's happened to me has been there to further the gospel. You say, Brother Ed, I just, man, I just go to work and I'm married, I've got a job, or I have my own business, or I'm a housewife and I've raised my kids and all. But, but beloved, do you see that you're a part of something? To go beyond just what may look like on the surface? You know, Paul didn't have a pond mentality. Now stay with me now, all right? Do you know what I mean when I say a pond mentality? What happens when you throw a rock in a pond? Man, it makes a ripple that goes all the way to all the way around the pond, does it not? 
I think Paul had an ocean mentality. If you took that very same size rock that you dropped in the pond, you drop it in the ocean, what does it do? You know, it just makes a little sound, all right, that I didn't make very well this morning. It just makes a little boop, and that's it. Doesn't even hardly make a ripple. Why? It's absorbed by the size of the ocean. But when you live with a pond mentality, then every little thing in your world disturbs you. When you see that you're part of a greater purpose. You understand what I mean? Something happens at H-E-B. Well, I'm not going to H-E-B anymore. I guess I'm going to have to go to the big one. I don't like the big one. Things are too far apart. Then you get over there and say, well, man, I mean, why did they move it? Now I can't find it. I guess, I guess I'm going back to the little H-E-B. Oh, my gosh. That's a real first world problem. Amen. Y'all understand what I mean when I say first world problem? You know, in New Guinea, they don't have an H-E-B. If they don't grow up in their garden, they don't have it. I'm just saying, his chains turned into chimes. It was a melody that had an impact on those who heard them. Notice what he said. Let's look to the word of God. Notice what he said. I know this has happened to me under the furtherance of the gospel. Look at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Now watch. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Those chains became chimes of inspiration and to help energize other people. And you know what it does for me is I see some of you in here that are the seasoned saints. You know what that does for me? It encourages me. Why? You're, you're still together. You're still in the battle. Still going to meetings. Still want to talk to people about the Lord. Still running your race. Because you understand something about what your purpose is. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. That's what our purpose ought to be. It's not to be like that man said, well, you know, I don't have enough. I think I'll just build bigger barns. That wasn't the goal. He said, thou fool, don't you know that your soul will be required of you this night? Like the rich young girl, I just want more. No, no, it wasn't about having more. The ambition in people's lives today, it drives them. It's, for some, it motivates them. For some, it I think in some ways they're addicted to some of those things, like the workaholics or people that have excessive debt and the like. And all these things that are going on, why? They're all, all in an effort to bring satisfaction in their life. When in reality, when in reality, the only, that empty spot was made for the Lord Jesus. And it gave Paul's life purpose. Gave it purpose. Purpose. And, and he didn't, you know, the provocations that he had, look, keep looking with me. Notice what it says. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife. In other words, there were some people almost like saying, ha, Paul, you're in prison. Look, 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 and I'm out here. I'm free. I can come. I can go. I can go in. I can go out. I can go to all these places, man. I can go to wherever you went. I can go to Bithynia. I can go to Galatia. Where are you? Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. I forgot. You're stuck in Rome. And you got this guy. Here. Man, I don't have anybody hindering me. Look what I can do. They did it because they were jealous or envious. Paul said, man, that doesn't bother me. 
You know why? Because he wasn't the hub. Because it wasn't about him. Notice what he says. Some, verse 15, some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, as if to make him jealous of them that he could do all these, that they could do all those things, but the other of love. No, now watch, he said, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel, what then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Why? Because Paul, understanding his purpose, he knew that the gospel was never about him. So long as the message was being declared, whatever your motive was, well, you think you're bothering me, you're not bothering me. Why? Because Christ is being preached. So what he was experiencing didn't, mar him on the inside. He wasn't made bitter by the difficulties in life, by what he experienced. That's why he was a winner and not a whiner. It's not fair. They get to do this and I don't. Why do they get to go? Why do they get to go over there? I mean, I got a friend that's in, in the Alps. Uh, Brother Grigger's over there in, in Europe and I he sends me some videos sometimes he sent me one this week he said I'm just sitting here on a park bench and he said look at this he said I'm at about he said I think I'm at about 800 meters you know everything over there is in meters and so forth uh, kilometers and the like I'm at about 800 meters so that's about 2400 uh, some odd feet man he shows me and he pans with his phone and man there's that beautiful app and there's a little snow up in there I think and then there's some of that you know Edelweiss they got growing up in there in this beautiful uh, you know and he said, I'm sitting here on a bench. And he said, it's just a lovely spring day. And he said, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about Pensacola, Florida. <laughs> when I was a boy and I was watching the ocean go in and out. And he said, he said, you know, men, we're just never satisfied. But he said, what peace it is just to be out here. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Paul understood something about his situation, his circumstances. You know, because I, I wondered to myself, why did that Alabama redneck get to go to Austria? I mean, it's so pretty over there. Why did he get to do that and be with those people, man? And, and uh, I, you know, no, you got to run your race. Paul was running his. He didn't see himself on the sideline because, you know what I think is so unique about this? Paul managed to still communicate and stay in connection with all those that he had touched the lives of, whether it was in the town of Colossae or the city of Philippi or in the city of Ephesus or in other places in Thessalonica. Why? They were delivering these letters. They were bringing word from Paul and they were writing back and Paul was getting these letters. He wasn't hindered because he was behind the walls of a house because his spirit had been enlarged. Why? He was a part of something that was of a greater purpose. And what was that purpose for him to live was Christ and to die as gain. I'm, I'm not trying. What I'm trying to get you to see sometimes is when we think about our circumstance and our situation, if we would just look at it in the light of the bigger picture, it would seem like what it really is. I suppose in the world of an anthill, <coughs> they think probably if they're thinking. Everybody think, man, what a beautiful, what a big place. Man, look at the spot we're in. Sun. Got all the dirt I want. Got plenty of underground stuff. Get out of the heat and everything. 
And they're just a little old dimple on the crust of the earth. And that's how we think sometimes about the world in which we live and the things that I have to experience or whether I have to suffer or whatever. Do you remember, do you remember when Elijah got out there and said, man, it's enough. I've had enough. It's enough. Just go ahead and kill me, God. He'd been, you know, he, and there he was, 400 prophets of Baal. They were, the, he, he slew them, right? Fire came down, licked up the water, licked up the, those, uh, those prophets of Baal. Then, then what does he do? He starts running from Jezebel. Uh, you know, he's, ha he's having a little depression. He's having a little crisis here. You know, he said, it's enough. And he said, like, like, like God, I'm the only one. And the Lord said, you know, I've got 7,000 others that haven't been the knee to Baal. But I'm just trying to get you to see Paul wasn't competing with anyone. He wasn't trying to build his own kingdom. He knew he was a part of something that was greater than what he was. But he learned what his place was. Beloved, you've got to find your place and then do what? And then do it. Whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with all your might. I mean, if you're going to teach a class, teach to the best of your ability. You're going to play an instrument, play it to the best of your ability. You're going to sing, sing to the best of your ability. If you're going to witness, witness to the best of your ability. You understand? You're a part of something. We're a part of something together. What a blessing. He knew it was about the fellowship of the gospel. And he also knew it was about the furtherance of the gospel. That's why provocations rolled off of his back. What do we say? Like water off a duck's back just didn't matter it just didn't matter he, I only got two points and I'm about done with the first one we're going to be out on time I looked at my watch some of y'all what does that mean nothing that doesn't mean anything I thank God brother Barton didn't put a clock at the back of the church brother he knew his purpose but I want you to see something else he also knew his place he knew his place. And I'll be brief here. Look in verse 24 with me. Well, let's, let's look at verse 22. But he said, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose and what not. The fruit of his labor was a man, the fellowship and the gospel. You guys getting saved and me in these problems. This is the fruit of my labor. This is what's going on. This is what fruit of your labor. This is what has developed in my life. And he said, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. I don't know what to choose for I'm in a straight. A straight means he was in a tight spot. In a narrow place. And he knows what he said. Uh, betwixt two, he said, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But look at verse 24. Nevertheless, in other words, in spite of me, in spite of that, in spite of all those things, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He not only knew what his purpose was, but he also knew his place. And he had the right perspective about life. Yes, it's true. Far better to be with Christ, but more needful for them to remain here. And what did he do? He wasn't living in self-denial. He was denying himself. Those are two different things. Amen. He denied himself. For what? For the faith of the gospel. Look in verse 27. He said, only let your conversation... Be as it become of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. In other words, he wanted them to be a part of that big picture. You carry the gospel. He was doing what he could. He wanted them to do the same. And so it falls upon us. We're in line with this. Paul wrote a long time ago. Now here we are in our time. The Bible says that David served his generation 
by the will of God. And you and I, beloved, we need to serve our generation by the will of God. Notice what he says. That I may hear of your affairs. I'm in the middle of the verse. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he's talking about the fellowship of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, and the faith of the gospel. And he knew what his place was. Look at verse 28. He said, And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. In other words, the judgment they were going to face, but to you of salvation and that of God. He said it was more needful to stay there with them. And he also understood this, the price. For unto you it is given on the behalf, verse 29, of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. Do you know, do you all remember the little maid? I preached about her one time, but you can make a difference. The little maid from 2 Kings 5. Remember the little maid that was taken captive and she was now over in Samaria? And she said, would to God that the, that the man of God in Israel, he, he could fix that leprosy. Naaman, what you had. You know, I'm sure, you know, the little maid wasn't thinking about herself when she said that. Do you ever think about the little boy? There in John chapter 6, they didn't have enough bread. They didn't have enough to feed them. And Jesus was moved with compassion. And he asked Philip, how much bread do we have? He said, we got about 200 pins. But man, that's not enough to feed this crowd. You know, they talked about having them sit down. There were about 6,000 there. They only counted the men in those days. But surely the little boy knew on his own he couldn't feed that many. But he also knew that Jesus could. He wasn't thinking about himself. It was like, well, I don't know if it'll help or not, but what I've got you can have. You know, that was meant to be his lunch. A little boy's lunch, that meant to be for him. But he, who was he thinking about? He wasn't thinking about himself. It was almost like, man, the Lord could do anything. I know he could do something with this. And you say, well, Brother Ed, I, who? let me look at me. My hands are knurled, my knees hurt, my back hurts, my face hurts. I know some of y'all are killing me with your no, I'm just kidding, all right. We don't know everything that lays ahead for us as a church. I'm not a prophet, neither the son of a prophet. And I'm going to say this for those of you, even especially listening at home. If the Sodomites have their way, they will outlaw the gospel and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ if they have their way. We're, we're in a sad state of affairs in America. An Arizona school board voted just this uh, back in March to stop hiring teachers from a Christian university because of their beliefs about marriage. And what they said was that those beliefs that were promulgated by that Christian university in Arizona were dangerous. And would make people unsafe. One member on that board, she said it. You know, when you say stuff in public, your name goes down. So her name was uh, uh, Tamia Valenzuela. She argued the fact that the school encouraged students to be biblically minded, and that did not align with the district's stance on inclusivity. And she basically said, we need to stand up for the LGBTQ and show them where our values really lie. Wow. We, we have come, you know, there used to be a commercial, you know, you've come a long way, baby. You know, showed her with a cigarette and so forth. you come a long way. We have come a long way in the wrong direction yes. for a long time. Now, listen, I'm not trying to get off the subject here. It's easy to preach on these things. 
But my point is, is that you and I are a part of a greater purpose. And we must not forgive that. For us, our motto ought to be, for us to live as Christ and to die as gain. I, I, you know, and I know he's literally talking about a physical death, but I'm talking about our dying to ourselves. That we're a part of something, and you have a part in that. You think about those people there who have left hearth and home to work in our field, taking nothing of the people where they're going, and that's what they've done. That may not be our calling, but we certainly can hold the rope, can't we? We can do our part here. So let me let me ask you a question. Do, and I'm done. Do you do you know your purpose? Well, I know my I, I purpose to raise my family. I purpose to leave something for my grandchildren. I, you know, but but do, but do you see your purpose in a in, in a little bit larger picture than just right here in that little pond mentality? I want you to see yourself out there with a lot of other believers. And what is our purpose? What is our goal? It ought to be the Lord Jesus is the preeminent one in everything that we do, in everything. It is the desire of our heart that it may be that way. Do, do you have a life's ambition? You say, well, Brother Ed, I'm 80. Yeah, but you're still here. You're still drawing breath. You know, the Bible says that they will bear fruit in their old age. I guess he was talking about all of us, was he not? Amen. Amen. But what about those old trees that are there, there, and those, those redwoods? They've been around for a little while. I wouldn't say they're too youthful. But they're still providing shade, still providing someplace for us to stand in awe and look at them. Do you know your place? Those are important things to know. What is your place? So let me ask you, you know, what are you leaving behind? Are people going to regret that you're gone or are they going to be relieved that you're gone? Makes it there. You say, brother, you were doing good until you got down here. <laughs> so what are we, in other words, Paul was leaving something behind. Was he not? Aren't we still enjoying Paul's letters? Yes. I am, Amen. I'm going to be done. A wise man said this. He said, there's no life so empty as a self-centered life. And there is no life so centered as the self-emptied life. When we are preoccupied with ourselves, we are a miserable people. Bitterness loves to take root. Jim Elliott said this, and I will be done. He said, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain back what he cannot lose. How many of y'all know who Jim Elliot is? A few of you do. Jim Elliot was martyred on a, on a riverbank in Ecuador at the hands of the Aka Indians. He said, they're coming out to greet us. That's what he told them on the radio to his wife back at the base station. He flew in there with Nate Saint and another individual and I apologize, I don't know his name. But he flew in there with him. And they said, they're coming out to greet us. They've been dropping them tools, axes, and different things, machetes, and so forth, that would help them. This was a Stone Age people. This happened in the 50s. And they got out there, and they landed that plane. And yes, they did come out to greet them, but they didn't know that they would have come out and 
eat them. And they were all martyred on that beach. You know who went back there and eventually won those Aka Indians to the Lord and the very men who murdered, who martyred her husband and the husbands of those other men? It was Mrs. Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife. And she went back there, you know, because she understood her purpose. And she understood her place. Wow. What a testimony. Amen. Amen. God wants to use you, church. You just need to find out and settle on what your purpose is. Find your place. Get in it. Get in it. Be about it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I sure do thank you, Lord, for these patient listeners. God, I thank you so much for your loving kindness and uh, your mercy that you have shown toward us. And I pray, Father, that you'll bless our people now in Jesus' name. Amen.